damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. We used heart attack. Lee. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers, we know it. Ask me about my winner. And during that stretch, when they won five games and lost three games, the games they lost, they scored zero, one, and three runs. A very good possibility that if Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Thinking about the World Series as we're getting set for the 117th version of the Fall Classic. And in all honesty, you think about the attention that's spent when we think of the Super Bowl each year and how it's become basically a national holiday. And the same thing does exist within the World Series. And the problem with it is it's not all about one game. So you can't get all your family and friends together with some nice uh, hors d'oeuvres and, and some chicken wings and beer and celebrate what could be anywhere from four to seven games on four to seven different days. So you understand the differences between between the World Series and the Super Bowl. But uh, as far as an event, as far as something that culminates what I still believe is the greatest sport in the world... It's something that's worth spending time thinking about, analyzing, and getting excited for. Like I said, this is the 117th official World Series. There was World Series before 1903, which was the first official World Series between the American League and the National League team. It was the Boston Americans beating the Pittsburgh Pirates in a best-of-nine series. They won five games to three. But prior to that, there was a National League versus National League World Series that existed in 1892. And you had the Boston Bean Eaters beating the Cleveland Spiders five games to zero in what turned out to be a best of nine series. And prior to that, uh, if we go back into our baseball history, in the 19th century, they had the National League, obviously, which goes back to 1876. A competitive league which was set up to compete against the National League was called the American Association. And that league was up from, I believe it was 1882 up until about 1890. But they had played a World Series between the American Association and the National League between the years of 1884 and 1890. Two years, the series ended up being split. So there wasn't a World Series champion but the other, what's it, two, four, seven, the other five seasons, there were World Series champions. World Series champions that we don't, we don't count when we're discussing uh, the all-time World Series champions. But the New York Giants won in 1888 and 1889. The now, you look at it, eight-time World Series champion in the World Series quote-unquote official era. Now, potentially... They're 10-time World Series champions. And you look at them for, for that reason, and it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to see it any differently. Because I, I understand, you know, you, you've kind of been trained 117 World Series. Listen, 
I've spent the time waxing poetically about it, uh, about how this this series just seems to just go on and, and, and is exactly what it is. But can we look at the New York slash San Francisco Giants as a 10-time World Series champion as opposed to an 8-time World Series champion? And the Detroit Wolverines, who have no connection to the Detroit Tigers, they were a National League team, a team that was contracted from the National League after the 1899 season. They have a World Series championship. The St. Louis Browns, who are now the St. Louis Cardinals, have a World Series championship in the old World Series era. And the Providence Grays, who didn't make it really past the, uh, the 1890s. So... If you want to add one to the Cardinals, to where they sit there with 11 World Series championships and say, hey, you want to make them 12-time World Series champions, I don't have any issue with that. I really don't. And then you look at the Giants, who I look at now as 10-time World Series champions. But what we really want to get into is the Braves and the Astros. And we spoke a little bit about it yesterday. And I was glad to be able to do shows back-to-back with you. Just a reminder, anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America, just come my way. Shoot it at me, whether it's through uh, through Facebook, and whether it's through YouTube. Um, anything you want to comment, even if you're watching a YouTube video later on. I did something yesterday. Or I'm going to start with an errors and omissions section because Lord knows... As I go talk too fast, I'm bound to screw something up. I'm going to count them over in my comments section. So if you don't see anything in the comments section, that means that I successfully made it through the show without screwing anything up. But you know, obviously, there's a lot of fans that are going to be a little polarized with the World Series. Some people that are pissed off at the Astros still from a grudge they carry from 2017. Uh, something I found fascinating, you look at the four players, the four offensive players that were allegedly involved in this you know, cheating scandal. Uh, you make it whatever you want to be. If, you, if it means a lot to you, then, then you know, more power to you. I, I insist that there's been so much cheating that's existed throughout the history of baseball that you can't root for a team that probably hasn't been involved in some way, shape, or form. So to basically call the Astros out for something that there's probably more evidence that they did and just because your team didn't get caught doing exactly what they were doing there's deviousness and within deviousness there is uh, it comes from gamesmanship that is kind of pushing the line. Gamesmanship since its inception is always going to push right up against that line over what's ethical and unethical which is right and which is wrong right there on the cusp of it. Sometimes it may go over the board. Sometimes it may go over the line. And other times it might be right up against the side of the line. So, you know, this this whole Astros thing where we blow it out of the world, making the Astros out to be these cheaters, I don't think they are. And I think it's time, especially if they come out and they beat the Braves in the World Series here, it's probably time to start celebrating them as one of the best teams of this era. You know, a chance that Carlos Correa could hit free agency. He's he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. There's a chance the Astros may not be able to pony up the money to bring him back. 
this may be the last dance, per se, for the Houston Astros with Alex Bregman, with Jose Altuve, with Yulieski Gurriel, and those four players who have now played in 67 postseason games together, which, by the way, is only four postseason games away from the amount of games that Derek Jeter, Tino Martinez, Paul O'Neill, and Bertie Williams played in together. Now, you think of the Yankees in the late 90s, which I'm going to talk about the Yankees in a little bit. You know, the dynasty that they had, all the playoff games that they played together, the core four plus Bernie Williams. You got to start looking at the Astros the same way. Listen, the Dodgers have been great over the last seven, what, seven, eight years. Consecutive division titles up through the 2021 season when they finished a game behind the San Francisco Giants. You know, you look at who is the best in baseball at this time, and with all due respect, the Yankees, who have spent a lot of time being the best team in baseball for several different eras, haven't been the best team in baseball in a while. The Boston Red Sox, who came, you know, a, a, a lucky game or two away from getting to the World Series, were better than the Yankees this past year. They've been better than the Yankees really since the turn of the new century. The Yankees, yes, they got World Series championships in 2000 and 2009. The Red Sox have gone out there and won four. They've won the most World Series championships of any team in the World Series era in this century. And you look at the Giants who have won three. You know, the Cardinals have won multiple World Series championships. And you look at the Astros who are trying to get their second one. Their second one ever, but their second one in the last five years which, if you look back at the Astros, you've got to give them credit for really being one of the top teams in baseball. And I know last year with the whole, uh, you know, shame parade, uh, you know, where they were expected to be booed in every stadium, but they got bailed out because there was no fans in stadiums. You know, so I hope that all the angry fans got it all off their chest now because the Astros are going to, amongst their own fans, they have the most support amongst anybody in baseball. Now, the Braves are doing a good job, too. Braves are going to fill, you know, Truest Park in Atlanta, the new baseball stadium. And there's a lot of fans there. One of the things that's going to stand out to me that I think is is great for baseball is the Braves being in the World Series gives baseball another chance to make up for one of their mistakes. And, they, you know, they decided to get into politics. They decided to allow something that had nothing to do with baseball influence one of their decisions. And once again, this will never be a political show. I will never share any political opinion one way or the other when I'm talking about baseball. But the decision was made to take the All-Star game away from Atlanta for this year. And like I said, it was for reasons that had nothing to do with baseball. Whether those reasons are right, whether those reasons are wrong, the bottom line is the decision had nothing to do with baseball. And baseball looks good again because the Atlanta Braves are in the World Series. And guess what? There's a great opportunity for baseball to honor one of the greatest players that the game has ever seen. And Hank Aaron passed away within the last calendar year. Hank Aaron would have been it would have been excellent for Major League Baseball to honor him at the All-Star game. They did a little bit of a half-ass effort to do it. You know, with the the players with the jerseys coming there before and the home run derby and uh, you know, it was it was a half-ass effort. It was basically 
uh, damage control to make up for something that they blatantly screwed up. They had an opportunity to honor one of the greatest players in baseball history in an all-star game that was scheduled to be in Atlanta. And they screwed it up. Baseball decided it wanted to get political. And like I said, whether you believe or don't believe in politics, whether you know whatever your side of the spectrum is when it comes to this particular issue, I don't give a shit. I really don't give a blessed shit about your political opinion. The bottom line is as it applies to baseball, baseball made a decision that had nothing to do with baseball. And that shouldn't have happened. They should have stayed out of it. They should have used the All-Star game as an opportunity to honor one of the greatest players to ever play in Major League Baseball history, and they chose not to do that. But now, they get a reprieve. The World Series in Atlanta. The 88-win Atlanta Braves, the team that had the best record in Major League Baseball after the trading deadline. Alex Anthopoulos went out there. He went all in. He traded for Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall. Jorge Soler, you know, you don't see him much in the postseason, but he traded for Dick Rod from the Pittsburgh Pirates, one of the better relief pitchers in the game. And he sent the message to the Atlanta Braves and those players that are on that field. The Braves, three games under 500 on July 23rd, six games out of first place behind the Mets, who at the time were nine games over 500. Now, listen, you could say that the Mets were kind of on their way down. Everybody looked at that 13-game stretch in September when the Mets were playing the Dodgers, the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Giants, and 13 consecutive games. It didn't look good, and the Mets went 2-11 and in that stretch, as could be expected. It was an opportunity for the Braves, but the Braves had already made the decision that they were going to be in this year because their general manager did everything he possibly could to put the best squad together. Those four players that came over they may not have been able to do anything physically on the field, but it re-energized that Braves clubhouse. The Braves started to look at themselves every day like they're a winner. It didn't matter where they were in the standings. They looked at themselves as a playoff team from that point forward, and they played like that. And you look at 88 wins and you say, oh man, it's a disappointment because the the Giants won 107, the Dodgers won 106, the Brewers won 95. All things that have value to them. But in the end, you know, we, we like to talk about how the Stanley Cup playoffs in hockey are about who's the hottest goalie, who's the hottest team playing the best at the right time. Think about the Colorado Rockies in 2007 when they went on that miraculous run. Matt Holiday, did he touch home plate? Who knows? But, but the Rockies won all those games in a row. And the Braves were the hottest team this year coming into the postseason. Because of that, they're in the World Series. And you know what? I give them at least a 50-50 chance going up against this Houston Astro team that it's good. Now, the, Bra the Braves are going to have to watch out for a couple things. The Braves have used enough, and I mean just enough, of their starting pitching to get by in the postseason to this point. You know, the Charlie Mortons, the Ian Andersons, the Drew Smiley, who, who pitched you know as a, as a relief pitcher, looked pretty good in an important game for them. Max Freed. The Braves need to get some extension from their relievers. Dusty Baker is going to have that type of influence on the Astros and their pitchers. The Astros aren't going to throw a bullpen game. The Braves might. 
Brian Snicker, you all you keep hearing about how you know forty years of baseball, and it's good for him to be in the World Series, the same as Dusty Baker. But you know the Braves at some point might use a bullpen game; they might use an opener. So don't tell me that Brian Snicker is one hundred percent old school and anti analytics when the Braves are using an opener and and bullpen games. The Braves got to be careful with. The amount of times that they go to their bullpen, particularly their relievers that have carried them to this point. Tyler Matzik, I hate to say it, and I'm going to stand on my soapbox when Tyler Matzik gets rocked at some point in the World Series, whether it's Jose Altuve, Yuri Gurriel, excuse me, somebody's going to hit a big bomb off of him in a big spot. I'm not saying that Tyler Matzik's going to cause the Atlanta Braves, cost the Atlanta Braves the World Series, but at some point, you're going to go to that reliever one too many times. And I don't think Brian Snicker and the analytics staff and the pitching staff and coordinator and coach of the Atlanta Braves are anywhere close to seeing this point that I'm about to make. Tyler Matzik is pitched in too many postseason games. Yes, you could have made a case he was the MVP of the league championship series. He was that great. He's pitched in nine of the ten Braves playoff games. And at no point during a regular season has he's has he come close to pitching in as many games as he has over the past three weeks. And that's not good. Listen, the numbers could be there. He could get a strikeout in a big spot. I'm sure he's going to come in in game one throwing gas and probably blowing everybody away that comes up to bat for the Houston Astros. But at some point, the Astros are going to see Tyler Matzik one too many times. And it's not going to work out for Tyler Matzik. And I'd be scared. I'd be concerned if I'm the Atlanta Braves and I'd find some way to rotate their relievers in these games. The easiest way to be easy on your bullpen is by getting some length out of your starting pitchers. See if you can get six innings out of Charlie Morton. Don't throw up your hands the second you get in a jam. Hey, it's the World Series. It's the second inning. There's a run around first base. Oh, my God, i got to get somebody up in the bullpen. Because you know what? The key, One of the keys to the Braves winning, and I'll give you a couple more keys in a minute. One of the keys to the Braves winning the World Series is spacing Tyler Matzik out. You could tell Luke Jackson after he gave up that home run to Cody Bellinger. He seems like a different pitcher. The Dodgers had a hard, the Dodgers had a hard time with him up to that moment, but... Cody Bellinger jumps that fastball that's almost at his eye level, hits it over the fence. All of a sudden, Luke Jackson can't get anybody out for the Dodgers anymore. Does that carry over into the Braves? No. I think he, I'm sorry for the, the Astros against them in the World Series. No. I think the Astros are a different look. I think they may, Jackson may have a little bit of an advantage over them early. But you can see by what happened to Jackson in the NLCS that the same thing can, and I hate to say it, likely will happen to Tyler Matzik in the World Series. And it's not that the Braves should avoid pitching him. Uh, you shouldn't sit Tyler Matzik on a bench and try to win the World Series with everybody but. But you're going to, every time you're in a jam, every time you feel that this is a big inning to get through a big part of the batting order, the Braves are going to think about putting Tyler Matzik in. That means he's pitching in game one. As, as assured as we are that Charlie Morton is pitching for the Atlanta Braves in game one of the World Series tonight, we could be assured that Tyler Matzik would, will be in a game at some point. It's not a matter of game one. 
And maybe the game turns into a blowout. Maybe you hold Matt sick off altogether. But expecting this game to be contentious, expecting it to be close, two really good teams who I think complement each other very well, you're almost sure that you're going to see Tyler Matzik in game one at some point in the World Series. And if things work out, which it probably will, I think first time Matzik facing the Astros, it could be the heart of the Astros batting order, and I think Matzik will get through it. Don't go to him in game two. Don't go to him in game two under any circumstances. I hate to say it. Even if it's a matter of holding back Luke Jackson and Will Smith in game one. Don't go to Matzik in games one and two. You do? I promise you. I'm going to be standing waxing poetic on my soapbox when I tell you I told you so when Tyler Matzik has given up a big World Series home run for no other reason than he's pitched too much in the postseason. Number two, you look at the Braves. You obviously, Freddie Freeman, you can't be any more excited for him being in the World Series. Eddie Rosario, I spent a little time yesterday talking about how, you know, basically there was some symmetry between him leaving the Minnesota Twins, the Twins going from a playoff team to losing 89 games in 2021, and then Rosario rising up to the occasion being the MVP of the NLCS. Obviously, having Rosario in, in an outfield with Adam Duvall, likely Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler will probably get in there in the right type of matchup. Maybe Soler plays in game one. If you look at it, uh, you know it's going to be in Houston, so you're going to have a DH. So Soler probably playing right field or DHing. Jock Peterson probably gets in there, unless the Braves want to use another right-handed bat. But you know the outfield play offensively is going to be important to the Atlanta Braves because you know their infield is already solid. You know, Dansby Swanson had a breakout year this year. Austin Riley was great. And then we know about Freeman and Ozzie Albies and you know you don't even need anything offensively from Travis Darnell. But are the Braves outfielders going to carry on the momentum? Adam Duvall leading the National League in RBIs combined with his time from Miami and Atlanta. How much is he going to help? Like I said, Soler, who had uh, coronavirus in uh, the League Championship Series, was very limited, and when he could play, he was activated for the last game or so of the series. But to me, Tyler Matzik is going to be key number one, and it's a shame. Shame to put a lot of pressure on a guy that has done nothing but perform. He's been nothing but money for the Atlanta Braves in the postseason this year. But the key is going to be, are the Braves going to go to him too much? I know the Braves are going to pitch him in game one. Are the Braves going to be that naive in thinking that they could just give him the ball every single game and expect the same results you've gotten in the 9 out of 10 games when Matzik has pitched? Thinking about the Astros for a second, obviously. Dusty Baker. We're excited about Dusty getting into the postseason. Getting to the World Series for the first time since 2002. One of very few managers in Major League Baseball history to manage a World Series in both leagues. All incredible things for a great baseball man and a person that has tr- has ties to the Atlanta Braves. He was in the on-deck circle when Henry Aaron hit his 715th home run off of Al Downing of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Dusty Baker 
was a solid player, solid outfielder, had a good Major League Baseball career, and made a good manager. In fact, should have stayed around with the Giants after they made it to the World Series in 2002. The Cubs went sour on him after a down season. After he took them within an Alex Gonzalez error away from getting to the World Series in his first year there in 2003. The Reds, who wanted to play the whole analytics card on Dusty. Hey, he's got to be an old school baseball guy because he's older. They didn't realize how much Dusty Baker was willing to embrace analytics. They went to Brian Price, the pitching coach, who seemed to be even more clueless. Then he got the Nationals, who treat him like garbage after he wins 95 games and two straight NL East titles. So, for the Astros, listen, I think there's a lot of fans that are kind of ambivalent on them, kind of in the middle. I think the good baseball fan, the solid baseball fan, loves Dusty Baker and very well should. And then the, the average baseball fan is pissed off at the Astros for what they did in 2017. So, I would say if you're an American League fan, maybe you're a Yankee fan, maybe you know if there's any Rays fans out there, obviously athletic fans, maybe White Sox fans, Boston Red Sox fans, you're pissed at what you think the Astros did in 2017. I can see why you root against them. But like I said, Dusty Baker makes a great wild card. He's a great, he's a great kind of counter to what you may hate about the Houston Astros. Another thing, I look at the Astros, and I think they are a little weaker in the bullpen. You know, Christian Javier, you know, had that great performance in the ALCS. Ryan Presley, a couple times, he's gone out there, he's gotten the job done. Obviously, you look at Kendall Graveman, who came over from the division rival Seattle Mariners, looked very solid in the in the games that he's pitched. You know, I wonder if the Braves can get to this bullpen. And, you know, you got to trust that Baker, if he is making a decision in regards to how long pitchers are going to stay in the game, whoever is making that call, are they going to stick with their starters long enough? And it sucks that the Astros don't have Lance McCullers. We already know that Justin Verlander wasn't going to pitch this year at all. Zach Greinke, it's amazing what he has kind of been lessened to, a guy that's not good enough to get out of the second inning without even really imploding. How much trust, how much of a leash is whoever's making a call in regards to pitching of the Houston Astros going to have with Zach Greinke? It's interesting. I can't wait to watch the World Series. I'm excited about it. You know, hopefully, uh, you know, we, we have a seven-game series. That's what I'm hoping for. Who do I want to win? Listen, if the Braves won, I wouldn't be mad. If the Astros won, I wouldn't be mad. You know, I'm kind of thinking about Ronald Acuna and Justin Verlander, two extremely integral parts of the Braves and Astros of Christmas past. And one of them is going to be a World Series champion without the benefit of that star player. Will it be the Astros for the second time? Will it be the Braves for the first time in 26 years? We'll soon find out. You know where nobody is going to be talking about the World Series is going to be the city of New York. And the city of New York and its group of writers 
and people in the media have absolutely nothing better to do. And they're pissed off. They're pissed off because their beloved Yankees are nowhere to be found. Lost a wild card game against the Boston Red Sox. Ending their season. Now listen, 92 wins, probably nothing to be ashamed of. But the New York media wanted to be promoting the World Series. The majority of the New York media that picked the New York Yankees to be in the World Series. You could talk about wanting some uh, information. You know, listen, the Mets make the playoffs. Whoop de doo. Sure, the media will cover it. The media in New York cares about the Yankees. And the fact that they're pissed off that they didn't make it as far as the New York media and all the pundits and experts expected them to be. Now, listen, I looked at the Yankees as a playoff team. I looked at the Yankees as a team that was supposed to win the American League East. I thought I looked at them as a team that would be in the ALCS. Uh, you know, gun to my head when I was forced to make a decision. I picked the White Sox over the Yankees in the ALCS. And you know what? The majority of people that are pick, were picking the ALCS had the Yankees and the White Sox in it. Maybe some picked the Astros. Maybe there was some weird team. Maybe somebody believed in the Blue Jays. But for the most part, it was White Sox-Yankees. Obviously, neither of those teams played in the League Championship Series this year. But my point when it comes to the New York media, they need, to, they need something to talk about. You know, they can't, they can't talk about the Yankees and what went wrong. So you got Bob Clappish basically taking the role of, hey, I'm going to do something about the Yankees to bring them attention. And he comes up with this story talking about the chemistry in the Yankees clubhouse. And he centers it around Brett Gardner and Garrett Cole. Now, the first thing I have to say about that is Garrett Cole became the poster child for the spider tack, the use of the six sticky substances on baseball, and the fact that it did, it did give pitchers a distinctive advantage. That's the first point that has to be thrown out there, whether you love Garrett Cole, you hate Garrett Cole, whatever. Using the sticky substance enhanced the spin rate of the baseball which made Garrett Cole a better pitcher. So all of that being true, you know, as redundant as it may sound, is the reason why Garrett Cole would be upset with the elimination of the sticky substances of baseball. And baseball did a bad job at this from the beginning. You know, if they're going to implement something, I would expect it to be between seasons. I was surprised to see when it was, what, May or... You know, the end of May, early June, where baseball quickly decided that they were going to implement this thing right away. I'm surprised the Players Association didn't throw out uh, that much of a fight about it. Tyler Glass now blaming this, the removal of sticky, sticky substances from the decision that, that he had to make to have Tommy John surgery. Listen, there's a lot of pitchers, not just Garrett Cole, that were pissed off that this ban was put into place. Like I said, the timing wasn't right. If Major League Baseball had it to do over again, they would have implemented it between seasons or before the start of a given season. So that's a bad call on their end. So Garrett Cole has every right to be pissed off. He has every right to be upset. You saw him in that first press conference obviously shooken by what happened. 
and the fact that this was being taken away. He knows that if he goes through his regular pregame routine, he's going to look like a bigger fool when he is the first person to get caught or stopped for using the substance that he's putting on the baseball. So, number one, you got to know that Garrett Cole is shook by this whole thing. Watching the press conference, watching his reaction, uh, you know, understanding that you, you can see the passion in his eyes of how much he cares about baseball, but also cares about what he's been doing over the last several years. Now, we can talk about the levity of it. We can talk about whether it's cheating, whether it's giving him an unfair advantage. I don't really believe that. I mean, batters are going to do everything they can to give themselves an advantage. You know, if a batter puts pine tar on his on his glove or on his bat, does that give him an advantage? You know, who knows? But obviously, the spin rates went down after baseball eliminated the sticky substances. So back to Garrett Cole. Obviously, he's going to be in a pressure point type of situation. I'm surprised one of these clown ass reporters didn't drill Garrett Cole with a ton of questions until he imploded to them. But Clappish wants to make a story. And Clappish was on the show. I think he's a good writer. You know, he's a ballsy writer. And I've said I, I said that when I spoke to him. You know, he wrote the book, you know, the worst team money can buy. And, you know, stood up there and took on the New York Mets of nineteen ninety two. Bobby Bonilla you know, was was pissed off about this book that was written in me, you know, during the season. Went after Bob Clappish, so you know, I'm not. I have no issue with Bob Clappish, the writer. Bob Clappish obviously has a responsibility to work on stuff, to report, to do the job that he does. And when it comes down to it, it it, it looks a little small. When it comes to trying to expose the Yankees to be this team that's out of whack, this clubhouse that's in disarray, the players amongst themselves are imploding, because that's always a narrative that's pointed to every time a team doesn't win enough games. And the Yankees didn't win enough games this past year. Was it because the chemistry in their clubhouse was that shot? No. I think part of it had to do with the elimination of the six sticky substances, which messed up Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole was not the same after that. Those are all facts. Now, if I was reporting on this, I would have just stuck to those facts and not try to make it out to be any deeper than it really was. Now, you draw this divide. You know, Brett Gardner, you're choosing fans to pick Brett Gardner or Garrett Cole. And obviously, the fans are going to take it hook, line, and sinker. They're going to jump right into it. Oh, man, you know, Brett Gardner should have understood that Cole was sensitive about this and shouldn't have, you know, shouldn't have done the pine tar thing, knowing that Cole might get upset. Oh, Garrett Cole was acting like a baby. You know, if if you're a Yankee fan and you fed right into this and chose a side like the story wanted you to do, you fell right into it. You took it. Like I said, hook, line, sinker. The issue with the Yankees, yes, it had something to do with the sticky substances. It had also had to do with the fact that the Red Sox were playing better baseball and beat them in a winner-take-all game. You could point to the fact that the Yankees swept the Red Sox late on, later on in the season, but 
the Red Sox for that one day were the better team. And they moved on. They used that momentum to get themselves past the Tampa Bay Rays and into the league championship series where they eventually lost to the Houston Astros. And if you're a Yankee fan, you're probably bothered because you don't look at the Red Sox being that much better than you. The Astros, as they sit there in a the World Series, you say, all right, they might be better, but you're not looking at a team that's leaps and bounds better. You, know, you think of the Astros a couple years ago, they had Garrett Cole in 2019. Now Garrett Cole's on the Yankees. And uh, listen, the Yankees were compromised. Cole was compromised by the removal of the sticky substances between the se- in the season. So there's this narrative that the media throws out there, oh, the Yankees clubhouse is so, you know, in, in tatters. Gardner and Garrett Cole aren't getting along. Forcing the fans to pick sides. You know, this whole thing about Joey Gallo. Listen, Joey Gallo, if you understand baseball, if you have any baseball acumen in your mind, you understand who Joey Gallo is as a player. He may be a little quirky in this article. You see the you know the routine, the regular things that he has. But one thing has nothing to do with the other. His routine has nothing to do with the fact that he basically is a 200 hitter. He's going to hit 38 to 40 home runs. That's just going to be what he does. He's going to walk 115 times. He's going to strike out every other time, just about. And I believe that there are probably a lot of Yankee fans that didn't know enough about Joey Gallo. Because those of you that think that the idiosyncrasies and the things that Joey Gallo does before a game have anything to do with the fact that he hit 199 this year should go up onto baseball reference and look at Joey Gallo's career batting average. His career batting average is 206. His first season in 2015, he hit 204 and 108 at-bats. He was 1 for 25 in 2016 at the age of 22. At the age of 23, he hit 41 home runs, but hit 209. He hit 40 home runs the next year and hit 206. The only year that he hit outside of 2-0-something was in 2019 when he hit 253, made his first All-Star appearance, had a 22-home run season in 70 games, and basically looked like a different player than he has looked at any other time throughout his career. 2020, he hit 181 for the Texas Rangers. This past year, he was hitting 223 for Texas. But if you look back at what had been the previous six seasons of his Major League Baseball career, you see that Joey Gallo is essentially a 200 hitter, a 200 and change hitter. He's going to have a high on base percentage because he walks a lot. His slugging percentage is going to be up there because he's going to hit 38 to 40 bombs every year. You know what Joey Gallo is. In fact, he's the poster child to this generation's three situational outcomes. Either a walk, a strikeout, or a home run. He's actually a more profound version of what Adam Dunn was over the course of his many years as a Major League Baseball slugger. He'll he'll walk. He's got a good eye. He's going to try not to swing at anything out of the strike zone. 
every swing he's going to be swinging for defenses. And he's going to connect on some, and the other times he's going to miss it. And he's going to strike out an awful lot of times. This is what Joey Gallo was. Any idiosyncrasies or anything that the media wants to come up with does not determine what Joey Gallo is as a ball player. If you paid attention, Yankee fans, you would have known what Joey Gallo was before the Yankees acquired him. I was happy for the Yankees that they got him too. Left-hand hitter, he's going to hit some bombs. Having him on the roster this coming year, which I don't think the Yankees are going to trade him. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I think he can go out there and hit 40, 50 home runs at Yankee Stadium. Played 81 games there. He's also going to strike out 200 times. He's also going to walk over 100 times. Those are things that are going to happen. And he's probably going to hit around somewhere between the 199 that he hit this year and the 209 that he hit in the 2017 season. Last thing I wanted to get into. Thinking about the upcoming Veterans Committee ballot, which we know is going to include, at least to be voted on, the likes of Dick Allen, Gil Hodges, Many other players, Maury Wills, who's a, a player that I would give a lot of uh, respect to, would love to see him get in the Hall of Fame. Kind of a different type of player, though. If you look at Maury Wills' stats, you're probably going to be underwhelmed. He was a great base stealer. He was a, a solid player in the 1960s with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I think one of the things that hurt Maury Wills was the fact that his career came to an abrupt end. If Maury Wills had played through his late 30s into age 40, his stats, I think, would stand out a little bit better. Now, when Maury Wills stopped playing, his last season, which I think was 72, and I'm going to have to look this up, he fell on his face. He had an awful, awful season. And in fact, in a time and age that was before free agency, it was tough for the Dodgers to justify bringing him back for the 1973 season. And if you look at Maury Wills, he hit 129. He had a 357 OPS. He had 17 hits and 132 at-bats. And may have started the year as the starting shortstop, but by the time that season ended, he was gone. That wasn't what he was doing anymore. And the fact that his career, which ended up not starting early enough. He came up as a major leaguer at the age of 26. And I stand corrected. You know, Maury Wills played through his age 39 season. The biggest issue was the amount of years that he played he spent in the minor leagues. So, looking back at Maury Wills, let's say from 1959 to 1969 where you want to throw, let's say Let's throw every year except for that last season in there. His OPS goes up six points. I don't know. You're looking at a guy that from the game that we look at today, which is so centered around OPS, it's so centered around slugging percentage and on-base percentage. This was a guy that hit 281 for his career. This is a guy that stole almost 600 bases over the course of his career. And I think the one thing that you go back on that kind of hurts him is the fact that he didn't make his Major League debut until he was 26 years old. In 1959, he was almost 27 when he stepped foot on a Major League Baseball field and played for the first time. Do I think he's a Hall of Famer? Man, 
I think baseball has got to take care of a lot of issues with players not being in a Hall of Fame before I start to really concern myself with Maury Wills' case. And like I said, I like Maury Wills. I'd like to see him get in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I would absolutely root for it. I don't think he should get in this time. Players that I should see get in, Dick Allen. I mean, Dick Allen passed away last year. Basically, leave an egg on the face of Major League Baseball. For baseball to look at a player that really had every right to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame and wasn't. Was it because he was black? Was it because there was some racism that still existed in the 60s and 70s that kind of held him back? I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to unsubscribe to that. I think that had something to do with it. You're looking at a player that at his peak, at his best, there were very few players as good as Dick Allen. And if you look at Ralph Kiner, as dominant as he was over a short period of time, Dick Allen was every bit what Ralph Kiner was. Maybe even a little better. And like I said, you may not have liked Dick Allen. Some of the writers may not have liked Dick Allen. This is a guy that absolutely 100% unequivocally belongs in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Another one's Gil Hodges. When you look at the 1950s, talk about a first baseman in the National League that was more productive offensively. Remember, defensive metrics are a little harder to read in the 50s. You, you got some uh, understanding of who a good defensive player was by watching them because there's a little more film available. But you, you didn't have the, the, perf, the perfection when it comes to field and equipment that you have right now. Certainly from a tracking standpoint, it's a little bit harder to go back into 50s and understand what somebody was as a defensive first baseman. But from everything you hear, Gil Hodges was solid. But he was also a premier power hitter at a premier position. And for some reason, doesn't get looked at as a Hall of Fame player. Now you think of first basemen. And first basemen have always been judged the hardest. Fred McGriff had 493 home runs. Really no reason for Fred McGriff to not be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. You you could say with McGuire, oh, it's steroids. But he hit almost 600 home runs. You look at other players that played the first base position. Don Mattingly played it well. Keith Hernandez played it well. And, you know, Gil Hodges, I think, getting into baseball's Hall of Fame could be the first step in maybe correcting some of these errors when it comes to the tough judgment that the baseball writers and the Veterans Committee have on its first baseman. Gil Hodges belongs. You look at Gil Hodges and his career and his stats, this was this was a player that was one of the top players in the 1950s. And I get it. The Dodgers had a series of Hall of Famers, Jackie Robinson and Duke Snyder and you know Pee Wee Reese. But you can even make a case, and there's no disrespect meant towards Pee Wee Reese. But Pee Wee Reese wasn't a power hitter. Pee Wee Reese was a beloved player. He was a glue type of player. He was like he was like Derek Jeter with 2,000 hits as opposed to 3,600. If Derek Jeter had 2,100 hits or however much Pee Wee Reese had, he'd be a Hall of Famer because of his presence, because of what he was known as as a ball player, because of the intangibles. The same type of 
uh, of uh, things that Pee Wee Reese had. But if you ask me which player would you put in the Hall of Fame and which player would you not put in the Hall of Fame, when we're talking about Gil Hodges and Pee Wee Reese, I would go with Gil Hodges in a heartbeat. And you're talking about a guy that, by the way, OPSed 846 for his career from his prime years, from 1949 to 1959. I'm going to pop this up for a second. Just hold on. Whoops. So 49 to 59. He had an OPS of 877, 281 batting average, averaged 30 home runs a year for 11 seasons. To me, that's Hall of Fame. 127 OPS plus. So part of it I don't understand. The other element that I want to get into, and I, I'm glad to hear that there's going to be a committee, some members of the Negro Leagues Committee are going to provide some information, some data, and perhaps some suggestions when it comes to players that could be up for Hall of Fame consideration this year. And there's two players that stand out to me. I know Buck O'Neill is going to get a lot of respect. And I don't have any issue at all with Buck O'Neill getting in the Hall of Fame. In fact, I'm going to use that as a preface by saying that Buck O'Neill, the player doesn't meet the standards that some of the other players in the Negro Leagues that haven't been put in meet. Buck O'Neill, the voice on Ken Burns' Talking Baseball, is a Hall of Famer. Buck O'Neill, the pioneer, is an absolute baseball Hall of Famer. Buck O'Neill, the first black coach in a segregated baseball history, is a Hall of Famer. And Buck O'Neill, the person, is a Baseball Hall of Famer. But I look at two players, one of whom has been chronicalized over the past, the chronicled, I'm sorry for missing that word up, but he's been spoken about very much over the past couple years. And the Donaldson Network has done a great job of bringing up the accomplishments of that of left-hand pitcher John Donaldson. Now you look him up on Baseball Reference, Unfortunately, the Negro Leagues that were granted Major League status were from the years of 1920 to 1948, which by that time, John Donaldson was washed up. John Donaldson had pitched in so many innings by that point, he could, his arm was ready to fall off. Now, Satchel Paige, known as a great pitcher through so many innings, was an absolute unequivocal baseball Hall of Famer may not have thrown as many innings as John Donaldson did. John Donaldson pitched at a point where pitchers were expected to pitch at the very least every other day. And he threw so many innings, struck out over 5,000 batters over the course of his baseball career. Doesn't get any credit because a lot of those stats weren't kept. And the naysayer, those that's going to knock John Donaldson are going to be the ones that say, oh, well, some of those 5,000 strikeouts were probably against semi-pro teams. Some of them were against barnstorming teams. Some of them were against a group of janitors, bankers, and plumbers that organized themselves a baseball team. Well, you know why? Because of the racism that existed in the country 
at that time that held guys like John Donaldson back. Why the hell couldn't he have pitched in the major leagues? And you look at the likes of Cap Anson, you look at eventually, which became the first commissioner of Major League Baseball, and the racism that existed there holding a tremendous black pitcher back. Baseball has a chance to get it right by putting this man in its Hall of Fame. Another player I would consider was somebody that sadly lost their life at the age of 30, but early on in their career did nothing but hit. And we talk about Charles Chino Smith. And in my book, which at some point I may or may not release, the 70,000 or so words that exist in my top 100 offensive position players to ever play, Chino Smith is in my top 100. And there's a guy that in the year of 1929, he hit 451 with a 1421 OPS. Hit 408 for his career. I think there's uh, other official stats that his batting average at 398. This was a guy that only played five seasons from 1925 to 1929, but you know has a good reason for only playing five seasons. He died when he was 30. He died right there in the prime, within the prime of his baseball career. I'd like to see him in baseball's Hall of Fame. And it's a, it's a stretch for the Veterans Committee to put four, four men in. We know that. The Veterans Committee has opened up over the last couple years the likes of Marvin Miller and Ted Simmons and Lee Smith and Jack Morris and Alan Trammell. Baseball has corrected a lot of wrongs. Harold Baines getting in. You, know, you may not like it, but Harold Baines was a he, he was a borderline Hall of Fame player that got in. Maybe it opens the door for other players like Harold Baines that had great impacts on the game of baseball. To put four in, it will be a lot. So I'm going to leave you with this. If I'm going to rank the four on the most deserved to be in a baseball hall of fame that I just mentioned. I'd like to see them all get in. But I have to go Dick Allen one. I go John Donaldson two. If I could get two, I'd be happy for Allen and Donaldson. Three, I'd go with Gill because I think Gill absolutely belongs in and hopefully baseball eventually gets it right. And Chino Smith would be number four. Thanks for staying with me here. Another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. How come you're only looking at a certain amount of money that gets rewarded to a particular franchise as we hit the halfway point here in the Passball Show? Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. I may come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I was supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. 